morning, everyone. How are we doing? All right. So, um, I'll get, I got to handle a lot of stuff before we get into this. So, one, um, if you are a note-taking person, we do have notes. They're at the table in the back. Uh, I have a couple ladies and gentlemen that will hand them out. If you want them, just put your hands in the air and they'll, bring, they'll deliver some to you. Um, we have notes and pens. But um, there's a couple links on there, books if you're interested, um, things like that on, this, on the subject. Um, so years ago, I believe it was a book. Um, I saw it as the movie. I didn't see the book. See, I think the book ruins the movie. Uh, many of you are like, ah, I read the book. The book was better. That's why I don't do that. Um, <laughs> when it comes to nonfiction, at least. I, was, I just wait for the movie to come out. Um, I read, for my job, I read a ton of uh, nonfiction and philosophy and theology. And like to sit down and read a story is, a, is like a sheer luxury. And I don't get to do it much. So I just wait for the movie. But a movie came out and it was a book. It was called The Stepford Wives, right? And The Stepford Wives is about this uh, guy, or this, they, they create this robotic woman, and it's allegedly the perfect woman. Like, it's the perfect size, it's the perfect look, it's, it does everything this husband wants, it satisfies him in every way, it does it, it, I mean, it's created to his perfect liking. And at first, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I found this, this, this wife that has met all of my needs. But what they find in the story is that it quickly becomes a nightmare that this is not a real wife. This is not real love. This is not um, how a relationship works. And what he thought was this relationship that, he, that you could custom design yourself that when you do that, it ends up actually becoming a nightmare and all kinds of things go, go wrong. Well, this series I've been doing, um, I've been kind of confronting the, our religious impulse to do the very same thing. Is what we like to do is we like to create God in our image to fit our cultural sensibilities. And what is popular in our culture, we want God to fit that. And what happens is, as you read through the Bible, um, it, the, the Bible tends to speak, not really care what our cultural sensibilities are. As a matter of fact, what happens is um, in every culture, at some point, if it's really God's word, it probably will confront a cultural sensibility. You know, um, many times, I, and I, I said this last week, and I wanna, I wanna remind you, this whole series is a three-week series, and it's really meant to build off each week. So if you haven't caught the first two weeks, I wanna encourage you to go online and listen. It'll really help this one make more sense to you because we're, we're building on it. But I try and reference them a lot and review a little bit just so we can keep going. Um, but, you know, again, if, if you took the Bible and you take it into a Middle Eastern culture, they read it and there's all kinds of things in the Bible that they don't like. That it speaks against their cultural sensibilities. The Bible's view on grace, the Bible's view on forgiveness, the Bible's view on love, their culture looks at that and goes, oh, that's awful. The Bible's view on justice is like, eh, we like the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. You know, it's that kind of thing. But then 
in America, if I get up and I preach on the prodigal son and about the lost son and how God loves the lost son, we all go, amen, oh, it's awesome. If I preach about God's love, everyone goes, oh, it's such a great sermon. If I, you know, if I, I, I preach about God's mercy and God's kindness bringing us to repentance, and as long as I don't say repentance of sin, you know, we're all happy with it. But then there are places in the scripture where we come up and it actually speaks against our cultural sensibilities. And really what ends up happening is um, we get something called cognitive dissonance. All of us in this room, we're all 21st century people and um, we're all free thinking people. But if we're really honest, we are fed the information we like. We're fed the versions of truth that we like. We're fed the versions of news that we like. We're fed all of those things. And what happens is when you read the Bible, regardless of the translation, it will eventually come up against your cultural sensibility. And sometimes it'll say it's wrong. And, and here's the thing. If the Bible is God's word, then it is wrong, right? If it isn't God's word and it's just another book, then it's just another book. And you, you, know, you, you could read something from... Bill Maher or Al Franken or uh, AOC or Jordan Peterson or, or Ben Shapiro or you pick, pick your side. But if the Bible really is God's word um, and it really is uh, true, there's just gonna be things that speak to it. And you can make a step for God if you want and that, that's fine, that, that won't work well for you. Because that's just your own made-up God. You might as well believe in the tooth fairy. So, um, I, and I, I, I say that because this is a delicate subject. And this is one of those where one of the reasons I don't handle this Sunday morning is one, I've got 35 minutes and it's a complex subject. And I could get up and just rant and tell what a majority of the room likes so they'll amen me. And then you'll alienate a bunch of people that came to visit that, that may, maybe need to hear the gospel and won't hear it because there's a bunch of people going, yeah! And I, I'm just not about that. I'm not, I'm not here to get your affirmation. I'm here to give you the gospel, unadulterated, if that makes sense. And sometimes it pisses the right winger off, right? When Jesus talks about the spirit of the Lord is on him and he's brought him to preach the good news to the poor and set free the, the, from the oppressed and set the prisoner free. We, we go, that sounds a little liberal to me. But then also there's times where God's word speaks to the other side too. So that's, that's where, where we're gonna go tonight. And um, the, the, the culture we live in um, loves to, would love to just make an algorithm for God so that you could have a God designed in your own Google algorithm and it would feed you the parts of the Bible that you like, that you don't get cognitive dissonance from, that, um, you, you know, all, all of that. And my job tonight, uh, my job typically is to preach the gospel, but it's also to um, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. So I hope you get a little disturbed tonight. That's okay. It, it, it really is okay. I was just listening to a podcast um, of a professor and he had a bunch of European students in his classroom. And um, the European students, it was, it was at uh, Yale. And the European students were like shocked at how fragile the American students were. 
Like the, the, the professor was like, well, I was gonna talk about this subject, but some of our students um, told me that this triggers them. So we're gonna avoid that and move on to the next. And when European students are going, man, Americans are frail. We, we, we need to hear some cognitive dissonance along the way. That, that's just, just a, a reality, okay? So uh, G.K. Chesterton, he lived 100 years ago, but he said this 100 years ago in England because England um, had a, a heavy secular onslaught about 100 years ago. And he said, these are the days when the Christian is expected to praise every creed except his own. 100 years ago, he said that. He also said this, which I love. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashion. So that, you know, that's that's where we're gonna go. But but here's what I I want you to understand. So um, these are different times we live in. It's the 21st century. Uh, some of you want to go back to the 20th century. We're not going back, so you, you should learn to live in this century and, and be, be okay with it. Um, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. People from the 20th century were just as messed up as us, and they had just as crazy a beliefs as we do, as our culture does, and um, we trade one sin for another and on and on and on. But um, r- really, the... the the worldview du jour of the day is, uh, is called intersectionality. And it's really the belief that um, who you are, who you truly are is measured by how many victim statuses you can claim, right? If you're a, a, a part of X amount of oppressed groups, you actually have a higher status in, in, the, um, in, in the culture. And that is a reality that's going on in our culture. As a matter of fact, the more victim statuses you can claim, the more authority you can speak with in our culture. Um, that's just how it is. I'm not cursing it. It's just, it's just how it is. Um, and really, human dignity is only accrued through the intoler- intolerance of disagreement of any kind. That you, you cannot disagree with me because I am a member of X amount of victim groups. And um, so, so what happens when you do that is you actually throw tr- what's true and what's right and what's real out and it's just based on your status. And I wanna remind you, this whole series is about the image of God, right? That all human beings are made in the image of God. And we, are, we live in a, in a world that was built on a foundation that all people are equal in God's image, right? All of us stand equal in, in God's image. We can all agree on that as Americans, right? right. Yes. Oh, maybe not, okay. Um, <laughs> Some of you burning crosses, okay. So here's the thing. It is a a reality. It's a fundamental reality. Our culture is built on that. As a matter matter of fact, you know, we talked about last week that in the um, Declaration of Independence even, it says, we hold these truths self-evident, right? There's certain rights that are given to all human beings. They're self-evident because there was this belief that all human beings are made in the image of God. The problem is we now live in a culture that has rejected belief in God. We're in a post-Christian culture. And where do you ground any human rights whatsoever? If there is no God, then we aren't made in God's image. And therefore we are just evolved animals. And if you take that to its furthest logical extent, if you really just think and use logic, if we are just an evolved animal, there are higher species. I didn't think that up. Scholars at Princeton, Yale, Harvard, all the Ivies, ethicists, biologists, 
when they had the courage to, to look at that, yeah, if we're just evolved creatures, we're nothing more than an animal and it's our job to evolve higher. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Kind of makes you feel queasy and gross. Yeah, well, it, 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 it's, it's a reality. So I, I, want, I, want, I want to review really quick what the, image, the effects the image of God has on us when it comes to the last two things we talked about. So I want to read to you from Genesis 1, 26 through 28. So do me a favor. Um, let's stand in honor of God's word. We'll, re- we'll read it together. This is the creation narrative. And it says, um, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals. So he says, let us make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Let us make man in our image so they can really rule over the earth. If I wanted, I could drag this series out, go five weeks, because I could also talk about the image of God when it comes to race and the image of God when it comes to the environment, because those things matter too, believe it or not. Um, But I can only handle preaching two sermons uh, on a Sunday, two different sermons on a Sunday so many times. And it's my brain, I don't have that much cognition. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we've kind of been rooted in this passage. And I want to remind you, we'll go a little longer. You know, we don't go 35 minutes on Sunday night. Uh, we'll probably go into like 7.15, 7.30-ish. And then um, we'll, service will end. We'll take a, like a five, two to five minute break. We will do a question and answer time. So if you have questions or you're curious, um, we have uh, some people that are willing, that are going to give a testimony tonight during the Q&A. Um, if, if, if you'd like to stick around and hear that, if you're a young adult and you're like, I want pizza, it's in that room over there. You just sneak over there afterwards. If you're over 30 and you just are hungry, you could go like, I guess you could identify as a young adult still. It's 21st century. So anyways, um, so this passage though, it has huge ramifications on all kinds of things, right? Civil rights, um, the uh, the image of God and abortion, right? We talked about this. Um, the, the unborn, that uh, if, if the, the unborn have their own DNA, they have, um, you know, they don't have a degree of consciousness like we do, but it, what, the, the real question we've been asking and not a lot of people wanna answer it is, well, when is the unborn actually a human? And what makes the unborn a human? See, secularists have said, well, it's based on capacities, when they have the ability to make moral choices, when they have the ability to be self-sustained out of the mother's womb. And then that creates a whole giant slippery slope for humanity, doesn't it? Because babies not for a long time have that choice. And, um, and there's some elderly people in our lives that don't have that choice anymore either. So do we do away with them? Roman culture did. Roman culture, when you got to a certain age and if you got a little senile, they sent you out into the wilderness to let you die. Um, Roman culture, Chinese culture, modern Chinese culture even, in rural China, um, you know, they, they many times infanticide is a, is a common practice in, in a place like that. So, um, and this is what happens though, when we don't base our worldview, the way we see the world, that all people are made in God's image. Because if there is no God, then we aren't in God's image. 
And then it's a whole new set of rules. And this is the cognitive dissonance our culture is having right now. This is what we're all feeling. This is the angst we're feeling with all of these things. So, right, um, I give you a few things. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this, but um, many times people, you know, they'll, they'll say, um, you know, oh, Christians, you know, you only care about the unborn. You don't care about children outside of the womb and you know they'll say that and the traditional christian view has been pro-life you have to know that for 2,000 years that's been the reading from scripture um there are some people a small minority um that do some real big hermeneutical uh leapfrogging to try and find it in the bible that that it's okay but it just it's never been an interpretation of christians it just hasn't you can go through church history it's it's pretty clear but they'll say, well, you guys only care about uh, life out you know, in, the, in the womb, and that's not true because um, the reality is uh, uh, evangelical Christians adopt at two times the national average. Um, they give more to the poor, exponentially more. Um, I see no secular groups collecting shoes for the poorest kids in our city right now, which, by the way, we need about uh, eh, 1,400 more pairs of shoes. So get to Walmart and buy some shoes. Um, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, I, I don't know if you realize this, um, a majority of women in American culture, uh, Christian women, I, identify as, as pro-life more than Christian men. Because they'll say, oh, it's the man, it's the patriarchy, putting women down. It's just, just not true. These, these, are, these are not true statistics. Florida, one of the only states that uh, uh, asked for a reason for abortion in 2020, 0.001, not 1%, 0.001% of abortions was because of rape. Out of 73,000, it was eight. Um, I'm sorry, out of incest. 0.15%, not one point, not 1%, but 0.15% was because of rape. Um, 0.2% was because of the endangerment of the mother. Not even 1%, 0.96% was because of uh, serious fetal abnormality. 1.4%, actually it's probably 1.5, 1.48. 1.5% was because of the health of the, mo- of the mother was endangered. 1.5%, these are real stats. You can get them from the state of Florida. Um, 1.88 was because, 1.88, almost two, because of the psychological health of the mother. 20% were for economic reasons. 74.9% were elective. means eh, just one-on-one. So um, there's a lot of stuff floating out there and I don't have time to get into that tonight. And um, I'm not here to convince you of anything on that. I I just need you to know, it's been the reading of scripture for Christians for 2000 years and Jews even before that, that that the unborn is a person and we were to give it a shot shot at life. um, And that that is a reality. Um, But it also, I wanna remind you of this, that women that have had an abortion, they are also image bearers of God and they're loved by God, valued by God. I spoke with a woman last week and she talked about how um, she's been in this church for years and she went to a class once and a guy taught on abortion and basically vilified any woman that had one. And on behalf of this church, uh, I'm sorry because we are not 
treating women in the image of God when we vilify them for that. So I, I want, I want to remi- remind you of that too. And if we're going to take the image of God seriously, and we're going to take that people are made in the image of God seriously, sometimes it means us repenting, right? So, um, but the image of God also affects gender and how we view gender. Um, you know, just in that verse, and I, I'm not gonna proof text and read you a thousand verses on something just to tell you the Bible says something. Uh, if you've read the Bible front to back, it, it, it's pretty clear. It talks about how God has made man and woman in his image, male and female. There's a clear design to men and women. You've all played with Legos. You know how Legos work. You've all used electronics. There's a male plug and a female plug. We all know how that works. That is a clear design. We hold these truths self-evident, right? So that is a reading from scripture that Christians have had for 2,000 years. Jews have had for even longer. So this belief in gender is incredibly new. As a matter of fact, I wanna remind you, we have 100 years of gender dysmorphia study of scholarly study, and it happened in 99.8% males. But since 2013, there has been a 5,000% increase in females 13 to 21 that, that are now identifying as transgender. And some of you would say, well, it's because it's more acceptable now and it's, it's, it's celebrated. If that were scientifically true, then you would have the same increase with men. You'd have the same increase with women over 21 as well too. There's obviously something socially going on here. So um, j- just to help you understand, we have a hundred years of study that says that one in every 10,000 boys had gender dysmorphia for a hundred years. And like 0.001 of that, of gender dysmorphia was women. And now two in every 50 girls identify as transgender. Like those are just hard facts you can't get around that something's wrong in our culture. And it's because we've forfeited our belief as a culture that people are made in the image of God. And when you forfeit your belief, um, it is a slippery slope that will take you down a dark place. And I say that, I don't wanna be the old guy. I remember being 20 years old and being in church and hearing my pastor talking about, oh, it's a slippery slope. And I went, "Eh, typical old guy, you know, argument. And, um, you know, that was 30 years ago and I've slid down that slippery slope and it's getting slipperier every year. And the old guy was right. I'm just trying to cut you some slack. I don't want to be the grumpy old guy. I'm just trying to tell you, okay? But but a lot of this has to do with how we view the image of God. But here's what I want you to understand. If we really see all people in the image of God, you're going to see people, however they define themselves gender-wise, as still made in God's image. Still worthy of value, still worthy of love, still worthy of respect, still worthy of dignity. And on behalf of the church, we've probably, you know, just Christians in general have made very insensitive comments along the way. We've done it with lots of groups we didn't understand. Um, And we have to own that too, that we probably have not been as hospitable as we should be. So we hold these 
self-evident. And I'll just give you a great example because some of you are like, this isn't that big of a problem. Trust me, it's all over now. It's not just in the halls of academia anymore. It's just in our culture. Um, Two weeks ago, the Toronto Police Department, they posted this. Um, It said, Toronto Police Services requests public assistance of locating a missing woman. Do we have that? Yeah. It says, Isabella DeGrace, 27, was last seen on Saturday, June 25th, 2022 at 3 a.m. in the Reinerson Avenue at Bathurst Street area. She is described as 5'10", with a thin build, shaggy blonde hair, a full goatee. She was last seen wearing a black t-shirt and gray pants. Police are concerned for her safety. Would you show me a picture of her? This is the picture they put up. We hold these truths self-evident. I I just need you to understand that. And it's not to disparage this person because they're made in God's image and I hope that they were found, to be honest. But do you understand how confusing this is becoming for culture? So I wanna talk to you about the great lie because it affects the image of God in all of us. See, if we're made in God's image, we were made one, to treat everyone else like they're in God's image. And, and I'm gonna be honest with you, there are times where I don't treat other people like image bearers of God. I, I hold contempt. I, I have disdain for them. Um, and and, and here, here's, here's the thing. That's because I'm sinful. The Bible says that my sin has separated me from God and I need a savior because of it. And that I am inherently sinful at my core. And the better I try to be, the more it just brings out how sinful I am. And the great lie is this. So when, when we're in the, in the book of Genesis, and I'm trying to sit and teach this because I don't wanna get preaching. I don't need you guys going, yeah, amen, come on. We don't, like we're trying to handle this um, in, in a much more sensitive, because this is a very sensitive subject. But when you get in the book of Genesis, it talks about how Adam and Eve, that um, when they sinned, God had put them in Eden. He said, don't eat from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Eve is tempted, right? And what is the great lie? What is, how does Satan get Eve to disobey God? Well, look at what Genesis 3, 4, and 5 says. He says, you will not certainly die. He says, come on, eat this. She goes, no, 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 no. Lord said, we'll die if we eat this. And he goes, you will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so here's the ultimate lie that Satan tells everyone, not just um, people that are on the other side of the political spectrum as you. This is the lie Satan gets you and me with too, is he says, listen, God's holding out on you. There's more to this life. You could be happier. You could have more. You could find your true self. You could find the true you. You could know who you are. You could be completely happy being your true you. And that is the great lie that you could figure out who you are and be happy apart from your creator. That's the lie that Satan has always been telling. So what happens is um, you may not have any sexual sin in your life, but he'll get you with money. That, oh, if, if you have more money and you have a better retirement and you have this, you know, you'll be happy and you'll be safe. And it's the same lie that you'll be okay without God because you can take care of yourself. It's the same lie that says, if I get this job, then I'll have arrived and found 
happiness in life. It's God's holding out on you. This thing will do it for you. It's the same lie that says a spouse. Oh, if you get married. Oh, if you get married, then you'll really be happy. That's funny, huh, married people? (laughs) We're just here to break your little heart. Those of you that think like you're gonna live happily ever after. Marriage is really hard. It's not like the dream. I'm just letting you know. See, the lie is that there's more to life and God's holding out on you and you should try, try life without him. And that's, that's ultimately, we all buy into it to one degree or another, even your pastor. And the, the devil gets us. And this is the lie when it comes to sexuality in our culture, the way our culture now views sexuality. I, I, now, mind you, I want you to understand something. I'm not saying in 1950, our culture viewed sexuality right either. I'm not saying in 1950, the, the, the devil's way smarter than all of us. So he just goes, oh, they forsook that sin. I'll give them a new one. So I want to talk to you about the image of God and sexuality. So that was a little, little bit of review, what, what we've been going through. And um, I'm going to read to you. So I read to you the very first chapter of the Bible, right? And Genesis 1, 2, and 3 kind of sets up the whole thing, right? I'm going to read from the very middle tonight. We get to the middle and it's Romans 1, and it's long, and it's weighty, and I wasn't gonna have you stand for this one. Maybe I will if you start looking sleepy on me. It's weighty. The apostle Paul writes, he uses big words and long run-on sentences, and, and um, it, it, it's heavy, and Romans 1 is, is abrasive. I'm gonna let you know too, but it is God's word. You have to understand it, and if you're super offended by it, Please just buckle up and hold on because Romans 2 gets way better. And I'm going to read you the first two verses of Romans 2. And if you're super offended by Romans 1, trust me, you'll be amening Romans 2. If you're amening Romans 1, you'll be super pissed by Romans 2. This, this is what the gospel does. The gospel is not right or left. It's a third way. And it just says we're all wrong. We all need a savior. So, so, so please bear with me as we go through this, okay? Do you see why I can't do this on Sunday morning? I mean, I could do it, but you know, like half the room would be like, I'm out. Fantasy football, okay, you know, so. This is Romans 1, starting in verse 18. If you wanna pull your Bible out, you can look too. Um, you can look at it in any translation you want. I'm gonna read it from the NIV, not because I feel like that's the best one. It's just the one I'm used to. It's the one I preach from. Okay, Uh, verse 18, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness of wicked people. I wanna pause, give you a little background. Romans one, he's just talked about how God has revealed himself to all people through creation. Even if they don't have the law, even if they don't have the Bible, you can see creation and go, there's something more. When you drive through the tunnel at Yosemite, you go, there's something more. Everyone All human beings, even atheists, feel a sense of transcendence when they look in the night sky, right? And this is what Paul is talking about, that you can look at creation and know. And even those that don't have the law, they don't know any better, they still can see creation and they have no excuse if they don't believe in God, okay? So then we get to 18, he talks about the wrath of God. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppressed the truth by their wickedness. What he's saying is that When we sin, the thing we like to do is run from the truth. We're like cockroaches. We run to the darkness when we're in sin. When we're in sin, the last place we want to go is to church and hear a convicting sermon from Pastor Sean. 
That's the last thing we wanna hear. That's, that sounds awful, okay? It sounds awful to me. When I'm in sin, I don't wanna preach a convicting sermon. Because <laughs> then it's really convicting, okay? So verse 19, it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You know, I hear people all the time will go, oh, you know, what what about the people that have never heard the Bible? What about the people in Papua New Guinea? And it's super funny because my next question is, wow, you've never been concerned about Papua New Guinea in your life until this moment. And really what you're doing is you're running to the darkness. You're diverting with a question because you don't want to face it yourself. I do the same thing. Okay, I'm just as guilty. So verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him and gave thanks to him, but in their thinking, they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles and tiny computers in our pockets. We don't have like little idols on our shelf we worship anymore. We have a little idol in our pocket. And here's what I want you to know. Um, I used to say, you know, because there was a lot of this thought going out, you know, five, 10 years ago, and people were like, you should talk about it. I go, you know what? It, if it's false, it will figure it, society will figure it out. But I failed to realize this. I worked in recovery for years. I've been through recovery. I've been through the 12 steps twice. Here's what I know. Um, when you are addicted to something, you will believe lies all day long because they help perpetuate your addiction. And I want you to realize this, not just young people, 50-year-old person. When you are addicted to something, you will believe lies all day long because it helps you keep fostering your addiction. And as a pastor, I feel like I, I abdicated my prophetic voice thinking it would just work itself out, and it hasn't. So verse 24. He says, therefore, God gave them over in the sin, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity. So they went from idolatry to now sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than their creator. Let me give you an example It is very rare someone identifies themselves as a child of God anymore. You're, you're gay, straight, cis, bi, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, Christian, atheist. We, we live in this kind of identity politics world now. And we, we, we traded being made in the image of our creator for created things. Christians, you've done this too. This isn't just a a human sexuality thing. I'm guilty of this. See, the image of God kicks all our rear ends. And then it says here, 
They, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve created things rather than their creator who is forever praised, amen. And then verse 26, it says, because of this, do, do you see where culture is going? Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Paul wrote this in um, about 62 AD. So things have not changed. This is not like new, okay? Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves their due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. They started thinking differently, right? So that they, they do what ought not to be done. And they've become filled with every kind of weakness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. This is normally like where the older brother, if you went to church today and you heard the second part of the prodigal son, this is usually where the older brother's like, yeah, give it to him, pastor. Give it to him. The greedy, it's describing the older brother too. I hate to tell you, but anyways. Because no one in this room gossips ever, right? You may not struggle with same-sex attraction, but let's be honest. We land in this list. And then it says, um, they're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant. I've never been arrogant. No, never. Boastful. They invent new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. And not only do they continue to do these very things, but they also approve those who practice them. They cheer them on. So the, the New Testament in multiple places kind of moves towards human sexuality and that there's a clear design for it. It, it doesn't mean that people aren't naturally attracted to the same sex though. That, that is a real thing. It's not a, oh, it's just in your head. We'll pray the gay away. Like that, that's not a thing either. Like th this is a, a real like issue we have to deal with. And we can't just give like little pat Twitter answers. We live in a world that wants Twitter answers for everything. But when you come to like, Truth, truth is a cube. It's not one-dimensional. It's not two-dimensional. It's what you think. It's what he, the other person thinks. But ultimately, what gives it three dimensions is what God thinks because he's the, diviner, the designer of all truth. So here's the thing. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, pastor preaching truth. And some of you are like, God, I hate the Bible. This pastor sucks. He's a bigot. Listen, let's read Romans 2 now. Okay, so you can, older brothers, buckle up, because this one's for you. You, therefore, he's, who did Paul write this to? Did he write it to the gay community, the LGBT community of the Roman Empire? How do we interpret the Bible? We always go, who did he write it to? That's what he meant if he wrote it to the, so what, 
Someone, random guess, who do you think he was writing the book of Romans to? Yeah, what does Romans 1.1 1, 1 say? Anyone, anyone got a Bible? You read me Romans 1.1? 1, 1? Paul, right? Long, a run-on sentence. Who is it to? This is, uh, uh, Ver, verse 2? Oh, it goes down to six and seven. This is Paul, typical Paul. He says, to the saints, to God's elect in Rome. Right? He's talking to the Christians when he says this. So when he says, you therefore have no excuse. He's, he, this is to you if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, oh, snap, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So, so right away, he has this long tirade about the wickedness that's going on in the world and people do do wickedness and calling something wicked is not judging, okay? There is a difference. Judge, when I say judgment, if I am judging Rick, I am saying, Rick, you're going to hell. That is, I do not know that. That is not my call. That is the judgment of God. Now, if I say, Rick, I would not drive junk, drunk, right? In the 21st century, he could very easily go, you are judging me. You're an oppressor. Patriarchy, right? But the, the reality is, I'm just telling him something. That is not judgment. Um, it's called discernment. And I can discern something, and I can even be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong if I tell him not to drive drunk, okay? I'm using a super obvious, obvious answer. But judgment is when you say, you're damned to hell. You're a Christian, you're not. You're a Christian, you're not. You're a Christian, you're that, that is not our job. Because the reality is that list of sins, probably, probably every one of us in this room were guilty of one of them. I know I'm guilty of at least half of them on there, okay? So, first things first, when it comes to sexuality and the image of God, gay people are not your enemy if you're a Christian. You just need to know that. They're made in God's image. They're worthy of love. They're worthy of respect. They're worthy of your kindness. They're worthy of grace. They're worthy of all, all of that. But the Bible is pretty clear that it is not God's will for their life. Now that's different. When you have a attraction, like you can't just get rid of, a, of an attraction. So what do you do with that? I want you to understand something though. Human beings have all kinds of cravings and attractions that we hold off on. I'm gonna let, ladies, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret in this room. Most of the men in this room, including your significant other, is probably attracted to multiple women. You're not the only one that they're attracted to. Losers, right? No, don't, don't deface the image of God in them. We are scum, but anyways. <laughs> it's just true. And that is a craving we are expected to hold off on. 
human beings. We're finding not just men, women, this is becoming a pandemic too. Um, Pornography is something we are biologically geared to go, oh. But we've also learned that it is incredibly destructive on the human mind. Not just Christians think that. The psychological community has come to that conclusion that it is very destructive on human relationships, the human mind. Um, We wonder why we have a 5,000% increase in teen girls identifying as, uh, as, as males when um, they've had access to pornography and they've seen what they think women are supposed to be sexually. I don't want to be that. I must be a man. I don't like that. So there are all kinds of cravings that, that are in this world that um, we, we abstain for because we don't believe they're God's will for our life. And here's the deal. The best studies, scientific studies, show that attraction is very fluid. That's why you're not born gay or straight. Now, your anatomy has Legos, plugs, those kind of things. We know how that works, right? But here's what I want you to understand. You are not born with sexual attraction whatsoever. That's why you can nurse at your mother's breast and there's nothing sexual about it whatsoever. Sexuality is developed at a primal level around five, but it's not really something until you, you get into, your, you become a tweener when, when hormones just start to trickle in. That, that is a scientific reality. So you're not, the, the, the truth that is um, people don't, re, science doesn't really understand how attraction works. We know it has something to do um, with our environment. It has something to do with our upbringing. It has something to do with our belief system. Um, there's a lot of things going on, but we also still don't know why some people, since they can remember at five years old, were attracted to the same sex. For the super right-wing evangelicals in the room, you're like, ah, you're not telling me what I wanna hear. I'm not gonna make the Adam and Steve jokes anymore. I made those in the 90s and I repented of it. Because it's a much more complex subject than that. And taking those stances never gets the gospel to anyone. But what is the design? The design was male, female. But the design was broken. Remember, we talked about this. When Adam and Eve sinned, all humankind, we went against our creator. We went against our design. We started living our life apart from God's will. And there's all kinds of things in this world that were designed a certain way that they just don't end up that way. Some of you are like super anti-gay, pray the gay away, all of that, but you're divorced. Jesus said that wasn't designed to be that way either, but sometimes that happens, right? So what do we do with that? Well, some of it's a matter of conscience. Some of it is you can't deny what God's word says. And if God's word says that's not God's will for your life, you, 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 have to, you have to deal with that. If it refers to something as sin, you have to deal with that. But if you struggle with same-sex attraction, you're here today, I just wanna let you know, like you are loved, I love you. I don't think you're any less a person. Um, you just walked into a room full of filthy sinners. I'm the chief of them. 
I'm, I'm your captain. I'm super good at sinning. That long list that Paul went through, guilty of a bunch of them. And I'm not like, oh, I, I, I used to be that way. No, I'm still guilty. I can be arrogant. I can be prideful. I can be boastful. I can be greedy. I can be a real jerk. But the grace of God is for anyone who will receive it. Now, I wanna read one more passage out of, out of the scripture because here's, here's the thing. When it comes to same-sex attraction, if you're, you're saying, well, what do I do about my loved ones that, are, that, are, that, that have that? And um, it's not your job to make them straight. It's not your job to convert them to Christianity. It's your job to be Jesus. It's your job to tell them about Jesus. It's your job to maybe invite them to church. It's your job to do that, but it's God's job to do that work. And if he doesn't do that work, take it up with him. I've got all kinds of people in my life that aren't gay that aren't following him, God and I take it up with him every morning for them. I have people in my family, I take it up with God like, hey, God, I keep praying for this person. When are you gonna break through in their life? And if you think someone, since they were as early as they can remember was attracted to someone of the same sex and you just think you're gonna throw a Bible verse at them and they're gonna go, oh, that's it. I'm getting rid of this and getting to this. It, you're crazy. Like, you're just crazy. Keep the relational bridge with them. Practice hospitality. I wanted to, to, I said sexuality, and this isn't just me talking about homosexuality. We need to talk about heterosexuality too. Because there's hetero sin as well. Just as I said, homosexuality is a sin. The reality is, if you're sleeping with someone that's not your spouse... That's sin too. And there's a bunch of people in our church doing that. Because the reality is on Sunday morning, we let anyone come. Because Jesus said, it's not the healthy I came for, it's the sick. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, Jesus in Matthew 5, when we talk about design, how it was designed, how humankind was designed, he said something that was really hard. And this passage, I'm gonna read to you, and I'm gonna stand up and preach for a minute because you're looking sleepy on me. Here's the thing. I remember uh, years ago, living in Oceanside, California, I had a neighbor and I had been inviting him to church and he wouldn't come and he kind of treated me like I was, you know, he knew I was a pastor. So a lot of times your neighbors treat you like you're a cannibal and you're super hungry when they find out you're a pastor, like, oh, he's gonna try and convert me, you know? So he would kind of keep me at arm's distance, but something happened in his life. He had like a, tra a trauma in his life. And I always believe this, that God, usually people start looking for God in trial, transition, or trauma in their life. And that's the sad part is you wait till your life sucks to look for God when you could have such a better life if you just look to him now. You'd have such a blessed life if you do that. But anyways, that happened in his life and his brother was um, sharing Christ with him and got him to start reading the Bible. And I remember one night, Kung, kung, kung. my door knocks, I open the door, I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, man? And he holds the Bible open, and he goes, what the hell is with this book, man? I've been reading this Jesus stuff, this guy's nuts. And I go, well, what are you reading? And this is the passage he read to me. He said, you've heard it said, this is Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. You heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, right? So Jesus is telling 
the people. He's going through the 10 commandments. He's saying, this is what the commandments say, but this is what I'm telling you. He goes, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully, he's talking about a man, any man that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I go, yeah. And then he goes, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And he goes, what the hell is that? If that's real, we'd all be blind and have no hands. That's a real question, right? It's a serious question. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, here, here's what Jesus was getting to in all of these, in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Again, he's talking to Israelites who knew the Ten Commandments backward and forwards. They knew all the interpretations of the law, all in that. And he said, oh, you've heard what it said. Don't commit adultery. Think about it. Sometimes we treat the Ten Commandments as like the high bar of morality. I remember, like, my mom's like, I'm a Christian. I follow the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, okay, so you don't murder. Wow, good job. You believe lying's wrong. Wow. <laughs> Could you try not to commit adultery and sleep with someone else? And, you know, I mean, like, th- this is, Jesus understands that it's not the high bar of morality. It's the low bar of morality. And we still can't even follow those. So what Jesus is trying to show us in the Sermon on the Mount is that it's far more than just a rule. It's a heart issue inside all of us. And he, he, what he's trying to say is this, is you can follow the rule all you want, but the reality is your heart will commit adultery all day long. And you could cut your hands off, you could gouge your eyes out, and... Men, you'll amen me on this one. We don't need eyes or hands to lust. Ladies, you don't either. You've got a file. Ryan Gosling's back there somewhere. I know it. Him and his airbrushed abs and getting real. And this, this is what Jesus was trying to say, is you could gouge your eyes out and cut your hands off, but the reality is, is that the hearts of human beings are naturally wicked. We are naturally sinful. And this is the problem. Our culture has rejected the image that we are made in the image of God. And they've also rejected the fact that human beings are naturally sinful. So here's what happens. We, you, know, you get a group that says, I've been oppressed. The patriarchy has put me down. They're bad, they're bad, they're bad. And they're doing the very same thing Adam and Eve are doing. They're blaming and they're saying that group's evil, that group's wicked, and they don't believe in the inherent sinfulness of all people. So they're not looking at their own sinfulness. And it's super easy to put another group down, a group that maybe used to be in power or isn't, or you perceive in power and all of that. It's really easy to do that. But here's what I want you to understand. Every time you point a finger at someone, there's a bunch of them pointing back at you. And when you reject the sinful nature of all human beings and the image of God, you get the craziness in the world we live in right now. In 2015, 
a very liberal professor at Princeton University, sorry, Yale University, said, I think that students should be able to discern what Halloween costumes they want to wear or not. That's what he said. Because someone was upset that someone wore a, a Halloween costume that was culturally appropriating. And he said, people should be able to choose that and the culture can shame them and they can, they can decide or not. This is a very liberal professor and the students freaked out and they threw protests and they threw protests and he was fired. And this is what happens is you end up living in a culture that has no rules, that has no basis of truth, that everyone decides what their own truth is And then the mob rules. And Frederick Nietzsche mourned the death of God. During the Enlightenment, when he wrote The Twilight of the Idols, he mourned the death of God. He said, we we probably, like we need religion. And here's the reality. Um, They're saying it now. I've been saying it for 10 years because I I quoted a guy named Leslie Newbigin, an old missionary, that um, when our culture rejects God, they'll look for transcendence in some way. And what they've done is they've turned politics into the new religion. And you have a fanatical group of right-wingers and a fanatical group of left-wingers in politics. That's how they're gonna change the world. That's how they're gonna make their life count. That's how they're gonna make their life matter. And you have the world we're living in because we've rejected all humans being made in the image of God. Now, I tell you this. One, um, I have to tell you about identity. Because we live in a world where, I want you to think about this. I, I had this conversation 18 years ago. I'm, I'm a pastor of a very small church. I probably got, this is a bigger congregation than the congregation I had at that time. This is, I would have dreamed for this. I would have been like, oh my gosh, I've arrived. I mean, I was, <laughs> just look, I was like, man, I can't believe they let me be a pastor. That's all I had going. I still think that sometimes, but look, so I'm in, I'm in this Bible study and we started talking about sexuality and um, just a subject came up about homosexuality. And I remember we had this woman in our group and her name was Pam. And she just kind of matter of fact was like, well, I used to be gay. And first I did all the math and I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense. You know, like she, she looked like she had, had, was gay. She, she kind of had the look, there's a look. And I get it, I'm stereotyping, but yeah, I was. And... Then a, a woman in my group who was a new believer and wrestling with the Bible goes, what do you mean you used to be? And she goes, well, I was still attracted to women, but at a certain point, it just decided that that was not helpful for me. That was not God's will for my life. And then this, this woman, you know, and I'm just sitting back like, oh. I didn't know how to answer any of this, a young pastor. And Pam, 60-something-year-old woman. And then this young woman goes, but what about love? How do you love someone else? And she goes, I have all kinds of love relationships in my life. She goes, my best friend, she was a lesbian too. Heck, we hooked up a bunch of times. She's married to a guy and she loves him dearly. Love is love, right? Right? That's what she said to her. And then this girl goes, yeah, but how, do you, how are you denying who you are? 
These are all the arguments we heard last month, right? During Pride Month. This is 18 years ago. This is what Pam said, and it blew my mind as a young pastor. And I've heard countless people that struggle with same-sex attraction say the same thing. She looked the girl in the eye and she goes, why would I ever identify myself solely based on what I'm attracted to? She goes, we had chicken tonight. Do you solely identify as a carnivore? That's, my sexuality is a minor part of my life. Oh, unless sex is an idol to you. Blew my mind. And then time and time again, I kept meeting people that struggle with same-sex attraction, that have found Christ, that have found the gospel, that had come to a place where they believed it wasn't God's will for their life. Just like I came to a place that I believed that pornography was not God's will for my life, that it was destroying my view of women, destroying my view of sex. I had to walk away from it. Here's the other thing I want to let you in on. Marriage is not heaven. The local church tends to treat it like it's this utopia. And if you could just pray the gay away and get married to someone of the opposite sex, you'll see. That is complete and utter caca. I just want to let you in on that. Marriage is super hard. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talked about divorce, he, you know, he, he said, well, Moses permitted divorce, but it wasn't designed to be that way. It's just how the world's ended up being. Is relationships get broken. It's very hard. Marriage is beautiful. It is a reenactment of the gospel, but it is not heaven. As a matter of fact, believe it or not, the Bible actually says it's better that you not get married. But it says if you burn in lust, then you probably should. I burn in lust. Singleness is not hell. I'm going to tell you that too. Sometimes we treat uh, people that are single like it's like, um, like a diagnosis. Like, when did you find out you were single? I'm so sorry. I'm going to pray you find your completion. Trust me, your spouse will not complete you. They will not. You, as a matter of fact, they will annoy you and you will annoy them. But God will, God will use that marriage. If, if it's godly, he'll use it to, to create Christ in you and love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, all, all that stuff and weed out and expose all the greed, sinfulness, pride, arrogance that you have too. But singleness is, is, is not hell. Read the book of Corinthians chapter seven. It'll tell you how hard marriage is and it'll also tell you that singleness is a good thing. Um, it's why I typically don't do, if I do a series, I don't do a marriage series because half our church is single. I'll do a series on relationships. I'll touch on marriage. I'll touch on singleness. I'll touch on friendships, all, 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 of, all of those things. So I tell you that in your notes, there are some, some um, resources. I just finished a book that blew my mind. It was a beautiful book by a woman named Jackie Hill Perry. She's an African-American woman. She was a lesbian her whole life. And um, in 2012, as a full-blown lesbian, it wasn't in a church service. It wasn't anywhere. She came to grips with God and she became a believer in Jesus. And it was a long period, over three or four years, she walked, she, it was a long, slow walk away from um, her lesbian lifestyle. 
And she's a poet now and she's an author. She wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good God. The story of who I used to be and who God still is and always will be. There's another woman named uh, Rosaria Butterfield. It's in there. She wrote a book. Um, Hers might be even more mind-blowing to me because she was a feminist studies uh, professor at Syracuse University and a lesbian. And over the period of about 12 years, in a friendship with a pastor, she came to Christ and walked away, lost tenure at her university. Oh, and this is why it's even more unbelievable. She's a pastor's wife now. It's nuts. So anyways... Look them up. You can check, you can check it out. Um, but here, here's what I, I want you to know. And we're going to wrap this series up tonight. And I've gone long enough. Week one, I referenced this. But Jesus talked about, you know, they came to him. And um, they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And some people were really disappointed by this series because they wanted me to, like, be super political and kind of tell them what they wanted to hear and they could amen it and yeah, get, get those left-wing communists. And I didn't. And I actually probably said things that were more convicting to them and they left. And then we got some people that were more on the left and I probably pissed them off too. But um, Jesus had the, this same thing. And they come to him and they're like, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they weren't asking that because they wanted to know that. They were asking it because they wanted to trick him. If he said no, they'd be like, Romans, arrest this man. He doesn't think we should pay taxes to Caesar, even though they didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. But if he said, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, they'd go, see, he's a Roman sympathizer. He can't be Israel's Messiah. They were just trying to discredit Jesus. Jesus, in all his genius, he goes, so I'll pull a coin out. They pulled a coin out. And he said, hey, whose image is on the coin? They flip him the coin. Whose image is this? Religious leader goes, well, it's Caesar's. And he goes, I want you to think about this. He said, whose image is on the coin? Whose image is on the coin? And he says, Caesar's. And then Jesus said this. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Whose image is on you? If you really believe you were made in the image of God, what the Bible also tells you is that you were bought with a price, that your body is not your own, that the living God of the universe loved you so much that he came and got you that you don't have to be a product of your flesh and of what your flesh always wants to do, that there is another way to live, there is a better way to live, there is a more blessed way to live. I didn't say an easier way to live. I said a better way to live. But if you were made in God's image, his image is on you. And what Jesus was saying is, render yourself to him. And the first step, and it's a step that I practice all the time, is called surrender. God, I'm not the boss. This is not my body. Even though my body wants to do this, sometimes my mouth wants to say things to you guys that it shouldn't say. Sometimes it says things it shouldn't say. And then I get in trouble for that. And I have to repent of it. But the the reality is my body is not my own. It was bought with a price by the living God. 
for eternity. And you can have that, but you have to render yourself to the one whose image is on you. And if there's no God, okay, then you have nothing to render to. Then why are you so upset with my, my view on sexuality then? It's my truth. See, the reality is you were made in God's image by a God that loves you, by a God that's crazy about you. Gay, straight, trans, Baptist, Buddhist, Presbyterian, they're all made in God's image, even the atheists. When the atheist gets out of bed and he puts, he puts his, his feet on, on the ground, his saddest moment is he has no one to give thanks to. But for you, you were made in his image and I would encourage you to render yourself to him. How do you do that? Well, it starts with Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's not just giving God lip service. It means actually turning your heart and saying, no, I'm with you now, God. I don't know how to go your way, but I'm gonna learn. And I know you're gonna forgive me along the way as I learn. And you're gonna make me a new creation. And you're gonna, the, the gospel is gonna change me and I'm gonna hear it over and over and over and it's gonna transform me. And I don't know how, but I, I'm trusting that you're gonna do it. When you pray that prayer, radical things happen. It doesn't happen like that, but let me tell you, buckle up. Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, thank you for everyone that made it here tonight, Lord. And for all of us, Lord, that... Um, Lord, sometimes your truth is hard to hear. It would be much easier to just preach the cultural narrative and have bigger crowds and more people excited about, about it and cheering it and yahooing it. But Father, when we come up against your word, we have to believe it's your word or it's not. And Father, I pray for anyone that's here tonight, Lord, that they sense like, oh my gosh, I am made in God's image and I need to render myself to him. Father, I pray that you give them the courage tonight to do that. That they would begin to walk in a way that looks different than the rest of the world. They may even be mocked for it. They may be forsaken by friend groups or social groups or whatever it is. They may be called bigots. They may be called foolish. They may be called stupid. But Father, you would give them the courage and the faith to step into the life that you have for them as they render themselves to you. If that's you tonight, I just want to encourage you. You can do that in the quietness of your heart. Just invite Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sin, to change you and make you the person he created you to be. If you don't know what that is or how to do that, you don't know what to pray, maybe you just pray something simple like, Jesus, I need you. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge I'm not who I was created to be. Change me and make me the person you created me to be. Set me on a new path as a new creation. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, listen up. We're gonna worship right now. If tonight, for whatever reason, maybe God kind of pricked your heart or like you prayed that prayer to 
ask Christ into your life, I wanna pray a blessing over you. I wanna bless you. Um, and we do it different in this room than we do in the big room. It's kind of just a quiet thing. And while the church is worshiping in this next song, I'm gonna be hanging out back there. I would love to give you a bulb that represents Jesus, the light of the world living in you. And you can screw it into the welcome home sign. And if you don't wanna put it in that one, I'll take you over there and we can put it in that one, whatever you wanna do. But it's just a way for you to mark the moment that you know what? On a Sunday night, on the 24th of, I put the wrong date on the notes, by the way, on the 24th of July, the God of the universe called me by name and I had the courage to say, I want him. I'm with you, Jesus. That's a powerful moment in your life. Don't miss on that moment. So let's worship. And if you want that, I'll be hanging out back there in the back corner over there. I'd love, love to pray with you and pray a blessing over you.